Welcome in to another exciting episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. I'm Clay Sweet, and then producing the episode each and every week, Jeff Law set back behind the scenes. The guest list for tonight, Drew Gallant, the PRCC men's soccer coach up at Pearl River, and what a job he has done uh, building program and building men for our community here in Pearl River County. We'll get a chance to hear from him and just a I think an excellent interview, a guy with some really cool insights on uh, what it's like to win in life and on the pitch. And then after that, Chris Vianney, the national college reporter, uh, football reporter for the athletic, he breaks down uh, the realignment, the potential of realignment in the Power Five and Group of Five conferences on the college football scene. And then batting in the three spot tonight, Jason Baker with ESPN. He'll have the call of Troy at Southern Miss on Saturday night. He was on the call last Saturday night as Southern Miss was able to to beat Grambling. So he's got a cool perspective on where Southern Miss is right now in that football program. And then also we go pretty deep into what Troy will bring to Hattiesburg at the Rock on Saturday night. So sit back, enjoy this episode. Hey folks, it's never too early or too late to get that spring cleaning done. Give our friends at Silver Run Cleaning Services a call. They provide Pearl River County and the surrounding areas with a professional cleaning service. Silver Run Cleaning offers tailor-made and customizable services for your commercial business, your post-construction cleanup, and your residents. Remember that Silver Run Cleaning Services. For reoccurring and one-time appointments, give Darby McCraney a call at 601-337-1721. That number once again is 601-337-1721. Let Silver Run Cleaning Services handle all your messy cleanups. We are honored now to be joined by Coach Drew Gallant with the PRCC Men's Soccer Program. Coach Gallant, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Oh, it's no problem. Coach, a big game and a big night really coming up tomorrow night on and off the field as you'll have Meridian coming to y'all's place there. The game will take place at Dobie Holden over at the football uh, stadium. But just tell us how special the night will be to honor a former Wildcat and Casey Seal and be able to add some funds to a scholarship that the school has set up for Casey Seal. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Uh, big night. Have have a few things planned. You know, you mentioned we uh, all the funds are funding going to the, the scholarship uh, that's set up in Casey's name over at the Alumni Foundation. I know that uh, all of our proceeds from the game, the gate, concession stand, um, I know Mr. Frank Ladner and Ricky Ladner from down in the Bay are organizing a jambalaya cook and going to be selling jambalaya at the game also and those proceeds are also going to the, uh, the the scholarship you can and if anybody wants to make donations directly to the scholarship you can contact the alumni foundation and if you can't figure out how to do that you can email me at dgalant at prcc.edu so d-g-a-l-l-a-n-t at prcc.edu and I can help point people in the right direction to get get that done uh after the girls game tomorrow night we will we'll retire casey's number we've uh, got something to present to to his parents his family uh his, his whole family um that'll be there at the game with his uniform and his in a shadow box and his, his state championship ring from when he was here 
and just uh, the retiring of his number is just you know like a small token of our appreciation of the kind of impact he had on our program and not just our program but all of South Mississippi in general and I, I think everybody's seen what kind of person he was and the lives that he touched in the short time he was here with us. Yeah, of course, we're talking about former Wildcat. I believe he was a captain both his freshman and sophomore year. Casey Seal, a lineman who uh, lived down in the Bay Area, uh, was a lineman over for Intergy in New Orleans who uh, passed away here recently, has touched the entire uh, community and, and then some. So hats off to, to y'all the way that y'all have honored a, a former uh, Wildcat, always a Wildcat. So uh, good on y'all, Coach Gallant, so trying to uh, make this uh, a special, special thing. And then I'm sure your players, I'm sure it's not lost on them to be able to, to hold up. Uh, I know that it's talked about around there, the Wildcat ways. And then I've heard you talk about uh, the pillars and the three pillars you talk about and maybe some of those things that uh, Casey Seal represented. Yeah, we um, we – we established our three pillars to success, um, and they, they are the founded, well, they have their own foundation themselves in pride, respect, class, and character. And our three pillars are player, team, and competition. And we expect all of our players to fulfill those three pillars with pride, respect, class, and character. And, we, and if you look, we didn't establish those until after years after Casey had played here. I didn't coach Casey, but. You know, I coached against him, and I'd seen him around, and he was involved in, in the soccer community. And so those three pillars were established based on what we think it needs, what young men need to become successful people in this world, uh, positive members of society. And those are three things that I believe that Casey fulfilled. You know, I, I think he, he did all those things. Um, I mean, just kind of punching against him the type teammate he was, the individual player working hard every game, competing at the highest level that he could, playing after his college career was over. I mean, those are the things that we look for in our guys when we're recruiting them and try to reinforce with them while they're with us. I, mean, I was talking about it with my guys yesterday. Like, you know, We just had a big road game um, Tuesday at Southwest Community College. Extremely hard game for us. Probably I, That game bothers me more than any game all year. I worry about it more than Gulf Coast and Jones just because of a personal rivalry there with the head coach. And when we come back from that game, we're talking about our three pillars of success. We didn't talk tactics when we came into our team meeting before our practice yesterday. It was all about the three pillars of success and the way we're conducting ourselves and acting. You know, we did, And we did a good job of that. There wasn't any issues. Like We were great, but we want to reinforce those positives that we have from the game. And how we're acting away from the field, you know, all the positives that are going on for our program right now. Coach, in your fifth or sixth season there, and y'all had success immediately upon you arriving, but one of the interviews I saw or was reading is you kind of talked about the success off the field and the way it didn't sound like the success there in that first year was empty in any way. But it did seem to to maybe a turning point young in your coaching career, if you will, on like exactly what is most important. And that comes from winning. I guess that's a, a, a good way for, for that to come about. But it certainly interested me. Would you speak more to that? Yeah, 
Yeah, I, we won um, in my second season. We won the the conference championship that we're calling it now, but the, the you know traditionally all of us from Mississippi call it the JUCO state championship. And we won it, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, and I'm like, you know, it's great. It's it's great for the guys. It's great for everything. But what, you know, at the same time, what are we really here to do? And in 20, 30 years from now, you look back, and you're like, oh, I got a state championship ring or five of them, whatever we, we're going to have at the, at the end of my career, I'd hope for. But at the end of it, we're here to raise, help continue to raise young men. And I guess females on the women's side, I'm not the women's coach, but you know, that's, that's our goal here as coaches. It's, you know, can we help point them in the right directions, help them to make the right decisions, help them to grow as people, and to continue to handle things in the classroom? So we lost, we were good the year we won. We, we, that's probably, every year we've been better than that. Every year we haven't gone as far. But we're, we're going farther off the field than we were the year we won on the field. So talent-wise, I think we've been better, and we may have come up short in the playoffs because it's just Mississippi Juco where every game is extremely hard rivalry games, and we lose in the semifinals two years, we lose in the finals one year, and I think we have gone farther off the field, which is my goal every year than we have on the field, and I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm, I hope that uh, everybody here is happy with that because that's our goal. I mean, yeah, we do win a lot of games, and our winning percentage is extremely high. We won the South Division, I don't know, times. Can't tell you how many times we've won the South Division. Two, two, three times. And But the, the big thing is, is knowing that I've got guys moving on, completing their, their degrees, engineering degrees, or maybe they're going in the workforce. I've got guys that are going through our career tech program, amazing career tech program we have here. They're coming out with their instrumentation degree, making over 75 grand a year at 21 years old, 20, 21 years old. So, I mean, those are... Those are bigger wins to me than, you know, if I get a win tomorrow night. Those are those are my ultimate goal. Goals up. Coach, a former uh, Wildcat as a player back in 2003, your Wildcat journey began as an excellent player. If you would, our listeners may be not familiar with your story and being coached by uh, Dr. Adam Breerwood. Will you tell our listeners kind of how you ended up at PRC as a player and then winning, I believe it was the school's first Region 23 championship back in 2003. Yeah, I was, I was lucky. Um, coming out of high school, I uh, didn't have too much recruiting for soccer. Um, I actually signed with Pearl River to play football. And then uh, I had a few NAI offers for soccer, and two weeks before season, football season starts, I get a phone call to uh, go to Spring Hill College and play and found out that my little County Agricultural High School education didn't do very well at Spring Hill, and I was <laughs> out of school before you know it down there. I played well, but academically I couldn't handle it. And I was out of school for a year, and Dr. Brewer called me because a bunch of my friends were down here playing, a bunch of guys I knew from club soccer, and asked me if I was interested in playing, and it really got me a second chance to play. My, my playing career here was, I was the benefit of having loads of talent around me. I mean, I, I talk about it all the time, I'm in a score scored some goals while I was here and assists, but that didn't, all that came from all the talent that I had around me. I mean, I can still go through all the players and tell you every position of the guys that I played with. I, if it wasn't for them, I would, I had tapped in goals all day because of how good they were. It, but it wasn't like I was, the, the, I wasn't even the best one on our team. We had lots of players better than me. That just, I was the benefit of having all that talent around me. 
coach bringing in talent, when we're talking about the current edition, the one you're coaching now, um, y'all have had, as you've said, success year in and year out. Currently number six ranked in the country. You're off to a 3-0-1 start. The goalkeeper is having a unbelievable start to the year. Let's talk about the 2021 edition of the Wildcats and what you've seen on the pitch so far. Yeah, uh, I guess we could start with Maddox so far. Um, Maddox, he, a lot of people know who Maddox is in the area because he lives here on campus. His dad, Jason, is our former athletic director, still works here at the school. He spent a year at William Carey last year as a red shirt and was looking to get actual game minutes. Um, we were so lucky to have him, but hmm. Maddox has been here forever. Like anything going on at Pearl River, Maddox has been at it. So it was, uh, when Maddox was looking to make his move out of William Carey, it was kind of a an easy, I'm lucky. I am so lucky to have him. And then along with him came in Gavin Taylor from William Carey, another transfer to, to really solidify our back line. And Maddox will tell you, you know, he had, he's had some big saves for us and he does a very good job of organizing our back line, but we're very, very good at the back. Gavin really fit what we do and what he was looking for in a transfer, for a school and a transfer. And it just, we don't give up a lot of shots. Uh, the guy playing next to Gavin at center back, Jamie Chamberlain, as a sophomore from England, he's probably got four saves himself this year from clearing balls off the line. I mean, we do give up some chances, but they are laying all on the line to keep from giving up any goals. So we, we've got a good, a really good solid core there at the back in the middle of the field. Uh, we returned three all-region players, so we had a lot of players going forward and returning players with uh, – Mohamed Diallo's in his sophomore year. He's already got five goals and two assists, I think. Wow. Uh, the ones that get a lot of attention are uh, Riley Smith from England, Andre Nicholson from Jamaica, two all-region players. that they, they put up big numbers, really talented players in the middle of the field. But then our center forward coming in, we didn't plan on him being a center forward. Harper Baggett from Ocean Springs. Wow, what a guy. Just cleaning up. Any little thing bouncing in the box, any little balls. He's on four goals already, maybe two assists. And then on the, the, the wing next to him, another friend. So Harper's a freshman who just came in. On the wing next to him uh, right now is Jason Arias from D'Iberville. Probably the most highly sought-after player in this class. And he just he, – he brings another level of athleticism and can be an absolute game-changer. Scored the game-winning goal against Jones. Um, I just – I mean, I can go on and on about all the depth we've got. We have players for days. Like, I look at the bench now, and it's like, you know, last year we're running through a small bench, and I'm now I'm looking over here, and I've got a full roster of 25 players. and Just anyone I can throw on the field. I mean, we played all 25. We won, we only won 4-0 against Southwest, and I'm playing. So I played 24 players against wow. Southwest. And I think against Jones, if we look – I haven't looked back at it, but I bet I played 20 players against Jones. So we've got the depth and talent, uh, talent to play against – the biggest teams we can run through a really deep roster. And even we went over to LSU units and tied them uh, in, in JUCO, their division one, which, you know, they've got a limited international player, full ride scholarships. We go over there and tie them zero, zero. And I bet I played 22, 23 players that night. And that's been the biggest, biggest challenge we've had this season was against them. Coach, when you talk about depth, so many people, I would say, I'm in Pearl River County, so we're still newbie when it comes to uh, soccer, being soccer followers and fans. We're not 
quite as in-depth as what the Gulf Coast, Jackson area, and then North Mississippi. But in any sport, depth is got to help. But in a sport where you're running and moving as much as soccer, like this depth's got to create an advantage, right? Oh, it does. Um, especially when you hit back-to-back games. I mean, you look at high school or club soccer and players play back-to-back games in a day. You can't do it in college. Your bodies can't handle it. You, you, you simply cannot handle it. Back-to-back days of games are just doing uh, – if you played a Saturday-Sunday, you're in ice baths all day on Monday. And that's where our conference tournament runs into. So what we've done is just try to build a roster that will help us for the conference tournament onto the national tournament. We need to build games into our schedule this year with two extremely tough opponents in South Carolina, ranked teams that we're going to go all the way to South Carolina to get those two games in to try and prepare us for the national tournament and get those players minutes that they'll see what the level is going to be like when we get there, not just the starting 11, but through on through the next 11 players. And then we pick up, I mean, you pick up so many injuries through junior college here in Mississippi that you've got to have players ready. So we having that depth and being able to get them minutes already, you don't know when you're going to lose a player. Heaven, you know, heaven forbid you have a season in the injury. Uh, we started off the season with an injury that like uh, sophomore breaking his foot in uh, just a, it was actually a team building exercise, and it was just a freak accident that happened. So we have to be ready for those things. Coach, with the way that y'all recruit internationally and then without the districts, just going back and watching some of the games that are out on demand on the stream, the speed of this game for those that haven't seen it at the, and I'm going to call it the, the JUCO level, is quite impressive. This is high, high-level stuff, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of the kids we recruit internationally are coming from professional clubs, and it's a long thing to explain to people. But basically, you don't play high school where you come from. If you're any good, you're attached to a professional team if you're from overseas. And so we're recruiting players that are coming in that are actually training. They're they're not professional players themselves, but they've grown up in a club system where they are with the pro players in the English Premier League. You know, players that are they train every day with players like Jamie Vardy, uh, all the the big name players and in the Premier League, so they're they're used, to, they, and then they get over here, and they're bringing a speed of play that's just a completely different level for our kids from Mississippi. So those kids have to change and adapt to get to that speed of play, and then you're bringing in an athleticism. I mean, I I don't think I've ever met a slow Jamaican. Uh, <laughs> I keep telling mine I got right now he's the slowest one I've ever had, and he's probably the second fastest kid. I think he is the second fastest kid we have on the team. I'm like I'm, I'm he's the slowest one I've had. That's you know, we bring the athletes we bring in are Division One level athletes that are looking for that way to get the education, the foundation they need to move on to those Division One schools. Well, Coach, continued success, man, and and building the program, and then also uh, building the young men in for our community. We certainly appreciate the job that you're doing there and, and what y'all have going there uh, tomorrow night to honor Casey Seal and his family. You're welcome. I, I really enjoy it, and I, I hope I hope we are making the impact that uh, these young men need, and can, we you know we have continued success with that. I mean, I, I tell everybody, all my recruits, you know, I, we don't talk about winning. Winning takes care of itself. You do everything else right, we'll win games. As long as we take care of all the other stuff, all the little stuff. It's awesome stuff. Powerful message. Thank you, Coach. We appreciate your time tonight. Anytime. Thank you. How do you unwind? Whether it's hunting, riding horses, 
or just sitting around a campfire. It's better on land you own. Southern Ag Credit can finance that land. Give our Gulfport office a call at 228-832-5582 or visit us online at southernagcredit.com. We're thankful now to be joined by Chris Finini with The Athletic. We're going to talk Group of Five and Power Five Conference realignment. Chris, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Chris, a couple articles, one dating back as far as earlier uh, this summer on realignment, and then, of course, you have your ear to the ground. You've kind of updated and, and put some new information out. I know this is a big question, but... In your view, how do you see all this kind of shaking out with, with realignment? Yeah, you know, I mean, the Texas and Oklahoma bombshell really surprised everybody in college sports. Like, nobody saw that coming. And everybody's been scrambling since. I mean, the Big 12 was able to – I mean, once – the Big 12 schools that were left behind – or not left behind, but just kind of remaining – were seeing if they could get a, a bid to another – conference as well but once the Pac-12 and Big Ten and ACC came up with their alliance it was pretty clear that there was going to be no more additions at the moment so then it made sense for them to pull from the best of the group of five which is BYU and Houston and Cincinnati and uh and and UCF and now the Americans looking for schools and they're looking at the Mountain West they're looking at Conference USA and Sunbelt possible teams to add there so now it kind of starts to trickle down a bit yeah, and speaking of trickling down, we record out of South Mississippi, so a lot of Southern Miss uh, fans follow uh, this program. We're thankful for that. We've also got uh, listeners uh, tuned in from Troy in the Sun Belt because that's their opponent this week. So those two programs in particular, Chris, how do you kind of see it shaking out uh, for them long term? Well, as it relates to realignment, I mean, I haven't heard much about Troy, but Troy is in the Sun Belt, and the Sun Belt is open to expansion. They're at 10 football-playing schools right now. They are open to adding some more. And, you know, Southern Miss, I think, would love to join the American, but it's not really a fit from a money perspective because everybody in the American has athletic budgets that are $40, 50000000 $60 million. Southern Miss is only in the 20s. But what Southern Miss does have is a passionate fan base, and that's kind of the case they want to make. And the Sun Belt could be a spot for them, potentially, if they if they think it's worth it to leave Conference USA to join that league. Um, and, and if that's the case, you'd see more Southern Miss Troy games, that's for sure. Well, and Chris, in your article over the summer, you kind of mentioned how realignment and how some of the conferences, the stuff that's already taken place, has ripped away at, at some of your traditional um, matchups and even things that make geographical sense. So to me, Southern Miss and the Sun Belt, at least when it comes down to geographically, makes sense. Right. That way you don't have to go all the way out to El Paso. You don't have to go up to Norfolk for Old Dominion and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it, it fits. And the Sun Belt is a tighter footprint. Conference USA is a bit unwieldy and then that's an advantage that the Sun Belt has and I think that's why they feel like they're in a good spot where they could add potentially from Conference USA or maybe from FCS or somebody else. 
Chris, when you look at the name, in, image, and likeness, the way that that's potentially going to uh, change this game and already has, what part does that play in realignment? Or, or does it at all? I don't think it plays much of any, really. I mean, we've seen name, image, likeness so far, and it you know, has an impact in recruiting and stuff like that. But, but at this level, <laughs> not, you're not getting program-changing type of deals. I mean, there are certain players, certain athletes who get, you know, some bigger deals, but I, I don't really think it plays into this as a whole. But I think realignment is getting more attention from politicians who are alumni of hmm. schools that are getting so-called left out. You saw that they had a, a hearing in the Texas Senate about the Texas-Oklahoma deal. So, you know, in that sense, you know, politicians are also on top of name image like this. So I, I think it does play into a larger picture of maybe politicians and governments kind of paying more attention to college sports and potential changes. We've all been taught to kind of follow the money, and, and that's certainly been the theme of the conversation that we're having um, right now. It, it was interesting. In your coverage uh, this week on Twitter, you, you hit on the Alcorn State um, week that has been they've missed some days of practices uh, because of a lack of of trainers if, if the listeners to this program haven't heard that do you mind kind of touching on that and and how odd it may be for us to be talking about 40 or 50 million dollar budgets in the same conversation with what we've seen for the Braves this week yeah I mean you want to talk about budgets I had someone at Alcorn State point out to me that uh, you know Clay Helton's going to get about $10 million or so from a buyout from getting fired at USC, that's almost double the entire Alcorn State budget, which is mm. like $6 million or something like that. And, yeah, you know, people at Alcorn State are frustrated, in the football program are frustrated because they lost their full-time athletic trainer in uh, the summer. But instead of hiring a new one, the athletic department has contracted those positions out to actually that same former trainer but also his associate. And the associates got COVID, and so they didn't come to, couldn't come to practice. And as a result, Alcorn State didn't have any certified athletic trainers. And without that, coaches weren't going to practice because players aren't able to get the proper treatment they need. I, I think you might even be a rule that you have to have certain trainers around for uh, stuff like that. So uh, Fred McNair, the head coach, when I was reading a show, was upset about it and didn't have a trainer Monday didn't have a trainer Tuesday, Tuesday didn't practice. They basically just did a walkthrough. They did practice on Wednesday. I haven't checked in today, but they're going to be, uh, they're going to have had very little practice going into this week's game against South Alabama. And then next week they have to play on a Thursday against Arkansas Pine Bluff. So coaches are concerned about, you know, the, the safety of the players when you don't have training situations like this. And, and the athletic department not giving, uh, the school not giving the these basic things that a football program needs is really upsetting for a school that won the conference in 2018 and 2019. Yeah, it's pretty surreal when we talk uh, about this situation, Chris. We could probably kind of see this coming in, in some of the TV contracts and the way, I guess, the SEC network, Texas, and their network a few years uh, back, but 
would you ever imagine we would have gotten to where we are in 2021 with as many changes in, in college football in particular, but across college athletics? You know, when the 12-team playoff came out, a lot of people thought that was going to slow everything down. And everybody's got access to the playoff. We don't need to go crazy. It was, it was a good fit for everybody. And then the Texas-Oklahoma thing happens, and it just disrupts everything and now the playoffs going to get pushed back as well and now we're probably on the road toward a super league or, or something like that 10 15 years down the road um so yeah it, it all changed quickly and it really comes back to that moment i think texas and oklahoma maybe aren't getting enough uh, enough share of the blame as much as people want to complain about the sec chris when you look at exit uh fees associated with uh some of these conferences how strong are those, and is that something that would uh, potentially keep a school in a conference, or if you're w ready to go, is that something that you could potentially get out of? <coughs> you know, it, it's, it's something that everybody can get out of. It's harder for others. I think Conference USA might be like two years of um, conference payouts, I think. I, I mean, it, you can – you know, you can probably convince enough boosters to pony up the money for that at some point. You know, they do, they often do to build a new building or sometimes right. to fire a coach. I think something like that is. Chris, what's the know. next, what's your next article? What's the next thing that you're kind of diving deep into? What's, what, where are you going to be next as far as writing goes? Well, it's going to be keeping on group of five realignment. You know, stuff's moving pretty quickly. Dominoes are starting to fall. I feel like I've barely paid attention to the actual football happening on the field recently because there's been so much other news going on. So I'm excited to just watch some games on Saturday and kind of see what happens. Chris, if our listeners to the program want to follow you, particularly on um, on Twitter and then, of course, a subscription to The Athletic, where can they find your work? Yeah, just uh, theathletic.com. Uh, we've got a 50% off deal going on there. we got college football coverage, and uh, I'm on Twitter and at Chris Manini. Chris, thank you for your time. Yep, thanks for having me. With fall and cooler weather just around the corner, there's no better time to head out to Brothers in Arms. It's Hattiesburg's premier outdoor gun range. It is located at 4657 Highway 49 South. Whether you're a new shooter or an experienced one, all are invited to shoot on the safe and family-oriented range. Go check them out and inquire about their annual memberships, hourly rates, as well as their training classes they offer. Once again, that's Brothers in Arms Outdoor Range at 4657 Highway 49 South in Hattiesburg. And remember, always keep your sights pointed downrange. We now have the pleasure to be joined by Jason Baker. Jason will be on the call for the ESPN broadcast of Troy Ant Southern Miss this coming Saturday night. Jason, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Oh, my man, I, I couldn't be happier to, to, be on the, uh, to be on here with you, Clay, talking some ball. Yeah, JB. Let's look at uh, let's look back a week. Um, Southern Miss with a good performance at home versus Grambling. Kind of take our listeners through the flow of that ball game and and the positives from the Southern Miss perspective. Yeah, I think you know the one thing if if the Southern Miss fans would admit, you know, was week one was so disappointing. Um, you even heard that from the head coach's tone and Will Hall and. Um, so I was so intrigued 
to see what team we would see in week two. I was really confident we would see the team that I think a lot of people expected. Um, and they did. They responded in that way, which I find to be a very encouraging sign. Um, I still don't know that we know a lot about this team yet, maybe like the quality of play that we're going to see throughout the season. But one thing that I will say is what it tells me was uh, to be able to kind of shake off the way that they played in week one and come out and execute and perform the way they did against Grambling in week two. What it tells me is it's a team that's bought in. Um, they understand who their leader is and um, that week one really wasn't acceptable to Coach Hall. And uh, so week two looked a little different. And, and thankfully enough, it looked different in a way that uh, a win-win for the black and gold. Coach Hall certainly took responsibility uh, for that opening week ball game and as you've hinted to there the team responded what has the team been like this week as you've had a chance to kind of be around them as you prep for this broadcast yeah i uh you know i had a conversation with on wednesday uh, with coach hall on wednesday and the, the beauty of it was what he echoed i've seen which is week one is going to motivate them and it's going to motivate them possibly all year that it was a fluke and this team um, sort of had that attitude all last week into Grambling, um, all last week into Grambling, and then they've sort of taken that same chip on their shoulder. You know, in comes, you know, arguably one of your better home tests of the year uh, in Detroit Trojans, and uh, for them, them being the Golden Eagles, they're still toting that, hey, man, we can't let week one happen again. Um, and, and that really stems from, you mentioned, you know, Will Hall was uh, certainly voiced his displeasure with the team's performance, but it was more so his performance than the team. It took it all on his shoulders and really burdened that credit. And, I mean, he was still running hot last Wednesday uh, on our conversation prior to that grappling game uh, of just how disappointed he was in himself. And so, uh, to me, that's the attitude of this team. That's the moniker that this team's going to take, at least in the early going of this season, that they're out to prove that, week one was sort of a fluke. Not to take anything away from South Alabama, um, but I think it's more that um, they want to prove that they certainly were a better football team than what they showed on that, that week one Saturday night. Frank Gore Jr. put up a huge week last week. That's really, I guess, what Southern Miss fans had expectations of during the offseason. He met those expectations and then some last week. What was that success due to, J.B.? Um, Will Hall calls him a football player. He calls him a leader. Um, we were given a story. I shared it uh, last week in the Grambling broadcast. Um, when they convened as a team to meet on Monday uh, in their meeting, or might have been on Sunday, uh, but whatever day they convened as a team after week one, uh, Frank Gore was so passionate. Frank Gore Jr. was so passionate. He was moved to tears uh, over their performance in week one, and that passion exudes itself. Um, he's a natural leader uh, from everything that I've been around him with and spoken with him with. And um, I, think, I think what last week's performance was is the expectation of Frank Gore, not an anomaly. Um, I feel he's going to be a guy that um, those are the kind of performances you can expect to see. Um, he's as good as advertised. You can relate it to a lot of factors, whatever you want to do, you know, having a father that's the third leading rusher in the NFL history uh, certainly helps, but uh, the, the spring
sprinkling dust that God gave him at birth uh, helps a lot. He's got as good a feet and as good a vision um, as maybe a running back that I've, I've been around. He really reminds me a lot of Ito and Damian Fletcher, and he's got a whole career to, to catch those guys in terms of those accolades, but he's that kind of player um, from what I've seen. High praise, and that's a position that has produced some really good Golden Eagles in the past, as you've mentioned there. The guy coming this way and several others along with the Troy traveling party have ties to Southern Miss. So it sets up an interesting week three matchup in Troy. Kind of talk about some of those uh, connections and particularly the head ball coach across the way, Chip Lindsey. Yeah, Chip Lindsey was here as an offensive coordinator underneath Todd Munkin. We, we gave him his coordinator start. Um, he, I think you know he'll forever be. Um, grateful to Southern Miss for that. Um, now a head coach of Troy, and um, you know he's a high tempo, uh, high offensive guy, um, and his Trojans are going to kind of match that. Although maybe this year's team's not quite of that characteristic. I think they believe um, in their defense quite a bit enough to win them some games, um, and I think maybe the style of play will dictate that to kind of gear towards making sure they're giving their defense the best opportunities to make plays. Other guys on their staff that have been a part, uh, Cole Weeks is a former Golden Eagle quarterback. He's on their staff. Um, then David Duggan is their operations guy. Um, I know Coach Duggan well. He was on Larry Fedora's staff here. He also came back, uh, I believe, underneath Todd Munkin as well. Um, he was uh, a defensive coordinator at one point here. Um, just a fantastic human being. I cannot wait to see him. He'll actually be shoulder-to-shoulder uh, -shoulder with us in the booth uh, right next door to my television booth. So we'll get an opportunity to visit. I'm really looking forward to that. And then, of course, Jeremy McLean was the athletic director there. He's now the athletic director at Southern Miss. Uh, Brent Jones, their athletic director, was a deputy athletic director and associate athletic director here at Southern Miss. Jeremy signed him to come over and work underneath him at Troy. And then Jeremy, of course, comes back to Hattiesburg, and uh, Brent Jones stays over there. And then one of our marketing guys is uh, heavily involved in their marketing and athletic administration department, a guy named Kyle George we know well. And uh, So, yeah, the connections um, for two teams that have only played ten times in their history, this will be the 11th matchup, there are all kinds of intertwining connections off the field, um, there's not a lot of connections on it. So uh, it'll be kind of fun to speak to those throughout the broadcast, but um, it'll be fun to just kind of watch them uh, both kind of feel each other out on the field. You talked about tempo, pace of play from the offense. Normally for Coach Lindsey, he seems to be more confident in what he has defensively. And their one-on-one -one club, the way they got there was a win over Southern and then a tough uh, hard fought loss last week to Liberty and Jason it jumps out that you hold Liberty to just 21 points that's that's a mouthful yeah I mean in some polls in some polls of uh, college football Liberty is a top 25 team in the country they were ranked there I think they were ranked as high as 19 a year ago and I've actually seen um, some outside kind of crazy odds from sports books that have Malik Willis uh, with a small fractional shot at the Heisman Trophy um, this year in collegiate football, and you hold him to 21 points, uh, sacked him five times. 
Um, so I, I know these coaches don't believe in good losses or moral victories. They're not wired that way. But as broadcasters, sometimes I can I can step back and look at it. And what I would say is I think Troy learned um, a lot about their defense and the improvement that they've made underneath their D.C. Brandon Hall. And, um, you know, you, you hold a guy as dynamic as Malik Willis is, uh, 21 points in, in today's college football world, that's saying something, um, and it's saying a lot. Now, what I think has to happen is, you know, they've been at the vet for both their games, so they started at home twice. Now they're going to come into the rock and come into an environment on the road. You know, typically good defense travels well. Uh, that'll be the case on Saturday night. They'll need it to travel pretty well against this Golden Eagle offense. Yeah, and there'll be some question marks as they prepare defensively. They're not sure exactly who they're going to see at quarterback Let's talk about the Keys kid and what he looked like when he was in the ball game against Grambling and the way that second half offense looked with Keys as the signal caller. Yeah, you, you know, I, I don't know. Um, Coach Hall has spoken that there were times in the first game that he considered putting Ty in, um, and then there were some moments in the Grambling week that he was preparing Ty to be ready to go in. But I don't know that Ty Keyes was um, sitting on that sideline at the end of the first half thinking, oh, I'm fixing to play in the second half. Uh, it was a 10 nothing ball game, and, you know, Trey Lowe sort of, like, hobbled off the field way away from the action. Many people missed it. Um, I didn't miss it, but I didn't reference it breaking it to half because um, it, it looked so minor that, you know, we would seem back and then, you know, they uh, – announced, you know, a mild foot sprain and that he was just out for the remainder of that ball game. And so what happened then is like a, a dream scenario for the football team. You're able to go into the halftime locker room. You get the assessment from the training staff that Trey's not going to come back for that ball game. Um, and in comes Ty. And so he doesn't have a whole lot of time to stand over there on that sideline. And um, it was just a perfect scenario. You get thrown out there, Dustin Allman, uh, our color analyst last week was was referencing that, like you know, what a, what a perfect scenario. You don't know you're going in, and then all of a sudden you're in, um, and it's not enough time to sit over there and maybe let the the belly get full of nerves. And um, I have not spoken to Ty yet. That's kind of a, a good rule of thumb. We don't speak to true freshmen much uh, at Southern Miss. We kind of allow them to get acclimated to the college life and media requests and such. But I've watched him enough in practice. He's a kid that's um, unfazed. Uh, the moment didn't seem too big for him last week. Um, and God knows he's got all kinds of talent and ability, um, running ability, throwing ability, made two just beautiful throws uh, to Jacarius uh, Gaston uh, late in that second half. And so you could see, you could see what it's going to look like in the future for him. And, um, it was just a perfect scenario, really. You, you couldn't have scripted it better, I think, um, if you were going to have to put a tie in. So I think he benefited from that, and, you know, I, I thought he played pretty well. When you look at the other side for Troy, they've got a, a different type quarterback situation, but one that's changed since uh, last year. A different guy's going to get the start, and then they have a talented uh, freshman tailback in, the, in their own. We'll be anxious to see what the Trojans look like on offense. Yeah, they've had – their starting quarterback from a year ago, he actually led the Sun Belt Conference uh, in yards per game throwing last year. He was seventh uh, in all the country in completion percentage at 
uh, 70%. That was the third best all-time figure at Troy as well in Gunnar Watson. Uh, and he gets outseated through the spring and fall and summer camp. Um, Taylor Powell, a transfer out of Missouri, uh, transferred in, in in January. You know, there were so many moving parts with the transfer portal and the way uh, COVID was allowing these guys to gain an extra year of eligibility. And uh, there's a lot of programs that benefited from that. Um, and Troy is certainly one of them. Uh, so Taylor Powell comes in and, you know, he, he's off to a good start. You know, so far, three touchdowns, two INTs thus far uh, on the season, completing about 67% of his passes. He's very, uh, very much gamey, if you ask me. He's got a lot of kind of intricacies. He's not a not a runner, but he can, he can avoid a rush. He can slip out of the pocket and kind of move the pocket, if you will, with his feet some and um, never, never takes his eyes off downfield. I've, I've noticed that on film and then talking with Coach Lindsey this week. He mentioned that very facet of his game. And then you're right in the backfield. They're going with a freshman in Kamani Vidal. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, they believe in. They think he's, you know, plenty strong enough to play you know, running back as a true freshman. And then they, they have a seasoned five-year letter winner backup tailback in B.J. Smith, um, who will have revenge on his mind. He got injured against Southern Miss, not deliberately, but in just sort of a freak play as going out for a pass. Um, but I'm sure it's a motivating factor for him. To, it'll all kind of come uh, full, cir- full circle for him to be back on the field against Southern Miss um, on Saturday night. JB, I think that gives our listeners a good look ahead to Saturday night in the Rock. We appreciate you as always, man. Have a great call on Saturday night. Absolutely, Clay. Looking forward to it for Saturday night. Appreciate everybody uh, tuning in and and the kind words and comments. And uh, I'll even take some of the criticisms if they want to give them to me. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's going to be a fun Saturday night in the Rock. Can't wait. Thank you, JB.